All right, guys. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I am really excited about what God is doing in our midst. Before I get going this morning, though, you can put the slides up for Calibrate. I want to just make a mention about this Guatemala raffle because there might be a a slight misunderstanding. It said sponsor a student, right? But all of our students are fully, they've got all their money. You're not sponsoring a student from Shiloh. We're going, the youth group is going to this mission in Guatemala. And what the mission does is they're going into areas where it's very poor and gangs prey on the young people because when, when in Guatemala, your elementary uh, school is free, but when you want to go to junior high and high school, you've got to pay money. And in the poorest sections, a lot of them don't have any money to pay. So they're like, what am I going to do? And the gangs are right there to pull them into the gangs because they always need a constant supply of people into the gang. And when, they're, when their families have no food, when they've got no money for, for uh, schooling, the gang is, is like the best option. So when we're sponsoring students in Guatemala, we're giving them an option to say, look, we will sponsor you if you choose life and you don't choose the gang, right? And, and now they've got to, if they're going to take that sponsorship, they've got to work in the mission and help support and, and train the younger kids as well. But, but they're rescuing kids, the next generation, they're rescuing that as, as churches uh, all over the world Guatemala and other places sponsor students. So when you buy a raffle ticket today, our goal is we want to sponsor a couple of kids and, and give them the option to not have to go into a gang, but, but to have the money for schooling and to have the money for food. So that's what you're doing when you buy a raffle ticket today. It's $5. It's the cheapest. You can go way over $5, right? Your chances improve the more you spend, but I just wanted to, to make that as a note. All right, so we're talking about Calibrate. This is our fourth week in, in talking about calibrating. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series now. Just going to give you a quick catch-up. Um, you know, we, we started this series really out of prayer. As, as we were meeting and praying together as elders, we felt like God, this was something God was birthing in our hearts to bring to you. It wasn't just a, a great idea that one of us had. But, but we've been looking at what does it look like to know the importance of the standard, who Jesus is? And then how do we come into alignment with who he is, right? If we have no standard in our lives, we're kind of adrift. We, we, we don't know where we're heading. So Jesus is our standard. He's the one that we're, we're calibrating to. But Josh started off and he gave us, if you remember in that first message, he gave us a, a little bit of a math problem. He said, hey, what if you were in D.C. heading to Boston and you were just one degree off? Like, where would you land? Anybody do the math? Right? We went home afterwards. I, I know Dave did the math, right? Dave and I talked a little bit. He's a, another fellow engineer. We talked a little bit. Maybe our math is disagreeing, but our algorithm is, is sound, right? Um, maybe it was a calculator error. But anyway, if you're one degree off from D.C. and you're heading to Boston, Josh guessed, would you end up in Worcester? Actually, you'd end up in Watertown, right? Now, how many degrees would you have to be off? Dave came up with between two and three. I think me and my son came up with between five and six, but that may be just a calculator error. You can let me know if you do the math, you know, figure out how many miles is it from Worcester? Uh, I mean, how many miles from DC to Boston? And then it's tangent, opposite over adjacent, right? Remember your high school math, but there you go. (laughs) Ed talked about the standard as we calibrate. The standard is Jesus. And, And just the amazing work that Jesus has done in our lives, like, we take it for granted so often, don't we? Like, if you've been around in the church, oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I, I've heard that story. No, you don't understand. <laughs> like, 
Think about what Jesus left in heaven to come to earth, to die in your place, to pay the price for your sin. That is mind-blowing. Steve talked last week about evaluating our lives. And how many of you are glad that Steve plays keyboard in the the church uh, team versus guitar, right? And if that makes no sense to you, you just got to go back and watch last week's message, right? Steve was on guitar. It was a little rough, but I I think he was play acting there. Um, But you know what? Are are we focused on the outer strings and what people see? Are we focused on God? It's got to be every string. Because you know what? The guitar, the sound of, of, of our lives is off even if one string is off. Isn't that, isn't that a crazy thought, right? If one string is off, it, it just, ugh. It's, a, it's nauseating to hear it. You're like, ugh, I don't like that sound. No, every string. If we need constant tuning. It's constant tuning. It's not like I tune it once and then I'm good for the next 10 years, right? We need to keep tuning. We need to keep calibrating. So this morning, we've been been leading up to this Sunday as our action Sunday, our response Sunday. I've titled the message, Drawing Closer. And there we go. Thank you for doing that. See if I can do the next one. Yeah, I can. Good. Good. So drawing closer. You know, I recognize this morning as we talk about drawing closer to Jesus, we got a pretty diverse crew here, right? There's, there's a lot of us. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us, you know, we've known the Lord a week. Some of us have known the Lord for 20 years, right? Some of us don't, what does know the Lord mean? I'm just coming to church, right? I, I understand there's a, lot, there's a lot of backgrounds here. So for this reason, I want to talk about as I, what I did to prepare this message. I asked God, God, how do I, how do I give a handhold for what does recalibration or calibration look like to Jesus? And I went back and looked at my life and said, all right, if I could categorize events in my life, I want to just talk about three categories, or I'm calling them moments of recalibration, right? And, and we're going to spend a little time in all these three. You know, there, there is no hard boundaries between one category and another. It's just the way my mind works, and, and maybe it gives you a handhold. Um, it, it's kind of like I'm taking a, a whole pot of spaghetti today, and I'm throwing it at you. <laughs> And some of it's going to stick for some of you in one way, and some of it's going to stick for some of you in another way. But if it sticks, that could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. All right, but the three areas of calibration or moments that I've looked back in my life, and and maybe you can in your life too, is those times when we've been hit by a two-by-four. I'll call them come-to-Jesus moments, right? Or maybe there's times where we're we're kind of walking in the, the right direction, the right quadrant, Quadrant is 90 degrees, if you're not familiar with that term, but um, walking in the right general direction. And then there's times, man, we're running hard after God. But as I said, right, every string's got to be in tune. They don't stay in tune magically. You can be running hard after God. Hmm, there's a, a string. You got to tune it, right? You could be in a moment of a two-by-four. Maybe all the strings are out of tune when you're in the two-by-four moment. There's a a major calibration going on. But what does it look like? What does the word have to say? So so let's talk about these moments of of calibration. Hit by a two-by-four, come to Jesus moments. Have you ever ever had your world rocked? That's what hit by a two-by-four is, or a come to Jesus. Like when something happens, and this may be the thing that brings you to faith in Jesus. It may be the thing that, that brings you back to faith in Jesus, but like it rocks your world. I, I know in my life, I had come to Jesus when I was 10. I gave my life to him. I, I was living for him all through middle school, all through high school. I was sold out for God. 
And then if you know my story, my two-by-four moment, my first two-by-four, we all have a lot of two-by-four moments the older you get, right? My first two-by-four moment was when my dad died of a heart attack at age 53. That's too young to die. He didn't have any heart problems. He dies of a heart attack. I'm 17. It rocks my world. My friends are asking me questions I don't have answers for. Like, Greg, you serve a God. How could he let that happen? Like, you're the most spiritual person I know, Greg. Why would God take your dad? I didn't have an answer for them, but you know what? It caused me to go to the one who has the answers, right? And so we're going to look at a two-by-four moment in the scripture, and it's about a synagogue leader named Jairus. Remember now, he's a synagogue leader, right? But it says, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Mark 5, 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet falling at the feet of Jesus, and he implores him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And it says Jesus went with him. So put yourself in Jairus' position. He's a synagogue leader. right? Jesus is not making it easy for the leaders in the Jewish uh, temple at this point in time. right? There's problems going on with Jesus. Jesus is not keeping the Sabbath in customary ways. He's associating with people of questionable character, maybe even objectionable character. And the worst part is the Jewish people are starting not to care about these laws in the the Jewish faith because they're following after Jesus. And and he's talking to them, hey, it's not about the law. But when Jairus' daughter gets sick, something changes. Right? What would happen in your life if your little girl got sick? All of a sudden, you become desperate in a way you weren't desperate before. Like, I don't have the power to heal her, but I know someone who does. So who Jesus ate with, how his disciples washed their hands, what Jesus did on the Sabbath, it, it all of a sudden became irrelevant to Jairus. If I go to Jesus, I believe he's got the power to heal my daughter. So that's a calibration moment. It's a a big two-by-four in your face when he's like, you know what, everything that I've done as a synagogue leader, I'm willing to put that aside. If Jesus can heal my daughter, I'm going to Jesus. So he comes to Jesus that day. Jesus is like, okay, we're going to your house. An interruption happens. If you know the story in Mark 5, the interruption is a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years comes to Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment, unbeknownst to Jesus, and healing power goes out of Jesus and heals her. And now Jesus is asking in this crowded throng of people, who touched me? And this is a delay. We don't know how long the delay is, but it's a delay. Jesus was headed to Jairus' house. His daughter's dying, and now there's a delay. Ah. Can you imagine what Jairus might have felt like? What did he feel like? So after this woman gets healed, it's glorious. It's, it's momentous. Like God has totally touched her life. And then as they start to head, we pick up the story in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. No way. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Those are amazing words. Amazing words. But, but your daughter is dead. Like, have you, ever, have you ever felt like you're down 
And then when you're down, maybe you just get whacked again. And you're like, I didn't think it could get any worse than this. And now it's worse. God, God is getting your attention when stuff like that happens. I don't know why it happens and, and why, why, why he chooses us. But in moments of two by four moments, there's a recalibration that God has for all of us. And we better be listening. Because you know what? Like I'm not dumb. But after the second two by four, it's like, I'm going to duck the next. I don't want to be hit again, God. I'm listening. You've got my attention. What is it, Lord? What do I need to do? So as I was studying this scripture, I, I found a quote. There's no author, but I, I put the website to quote it. This is an amazing quote. It says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but fear. Every encounter with Jesus involves a recalibration that replaces a fear with faith. And each of these recalibrations brings us closer to the destination of a life that really is life. Right? Some of us, we think we're living life. No, sorry, you're not living life. Your strings are out of tune. Like if you really want to give a sweet sound from your life, you got to get your strings in tune. Now, it's interesting that the opposite of faith is not doubt, right? What did Jesus say? He didn't say, do not doubt, only believe. He said, do not fear, only believe. So what is it that we're afraid of? And how do we replace faith? How do we replace fear with faith? Right? I can tell you in my life, using my example, right? What I was afraid of when my dad died is God, how how is this gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? And I had to take all those fears and I had to say, Lord, you're the father to the fatherless. That's what your word says. And God, if I really believe that, then you're gonna take care of all these things. Right, so, so there comes a moment where we have to look at what does God's word say and now how do I pray the word instead of give in to the fear. As time went on and as I got older, guys, it's not lost on me that 53 is pretty young, right? And now I'm 50 or I'm 51. Going back, I'm not 50 or 51 now, I'm older than that. But, um, and my dad died of a heart attack while I was jogging at work. You know what? I've never been a runner. I've never been a jogger. But my son David was, was doing cross country. We were on a trip. And I'm like, let's all go running together. And I start to be a runner. Never been a runner in my life. And I'm like, why am I running now when my dad died of a heart attack while running? That doesn't really make a lot of sense. And you got to know there was times I'm running and I'm thinking about, would it happen to me? Would I die of a heart attack while I'm running? And now I got to take that fear and I got to say, God, what does your word say? You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And as I'm running, I'm just repeating the scripture to myself. No, I'm not going to give in to the fear. I'm going to look to what faith has to say. I'm going to look to what the word of God has to say. But what's the fear that you might have? Maybe we have a fear we're not going to be good enough. Well, guess what? None of us are good enough. That's the whole point, right? That's why Jesus came. We can't, we can't get ourselves out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> Ephesians 2.8 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift, right? If you're not in relationship with Jesus, this is what I missed before I came into relationship with Jesus. I thought faith was going to church. Faith is not going to church. Faith is a relationship with Jesus. It's not how many good works you do. It's, it's a gift. You can't earn the gift. There's nothing we can do. 
But see, when Jesus gave his life for us as our bridegroom, he's like, will you give your life to me and be my bride? It's an invitation. Will you be my bride? Will you marry me? That's what Jesus is asking. Maybe we, f- we fear that our fear, our anxiety, our depression, our relationship problems, our financial problems, our addictions, any number of things, they disqualify us. God would never want me. He, he can't use me. Well, guess what? Have you read the Bible lately? Because God chooses to work through sinners. I don't know why, but that's what he does. The Bible is full of people who were sinners. And then God gets a hold of them. They're still sinning, but God is working in their lives and he's perfecting them. Look at the apostle Paul. Go back, read Romans 7. He was struggling. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, I don't want to do. Like, what's the answer? And it's like, the answer is Jesus. That's how I find my answer. So how do we recalibrate in two by four moments? Identify our fear. Replace it with faith by praying the word of God. God, your word says. And then start praying back the word to him. I think as well, in in those two by four moments, it's important to ask ourselves a question. I I listened in. I wasn't here last Sunday, but I listened in. and, And Chris had a word about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Go back and look at Matthew 7. Did you know what the difference was between the wise and foolish? It wasn't what they heard different things. They both heard the same word. Right? There's, there's all of us. We're hearing the same word today, but some of us are wise and some of us are foolish. And this is the difference between wise and foolish. It's who obeys and who doesn't obey. Who listens and puts it into practice and who listens and doesn't put it into practice. That's the difference. Which one are we going to be? Are we going to take God at his word and put it into practice? Or are we going to read the word and then, oh, that, that's really good. That tickled my ears. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. That's the difference. So these are, these are the two by four moments. What about when we're walking in the right quadrant, we're, we're heading toward God, right? This is where I think a lot of us are most of the time. We're, we're growing in our relationship with Jesus. We're experiencing mountaintops and valleys. That's part of the Christian life. We, we know that, right? I, I think in, in this quadrant, we understand this as believers. Philippians says, God who began the good work in you, the good work within us will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. There's a work going on in all of us. We're all on our spiritual journey, right? And, and that's, that's the trajectory. We're heading towards Jesus. But there's a, a story here I want to look at in Mark 10. This was a man that was doing his best to follow Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he comes running to him. He kneels down and he asks, good teacher, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. So the man replies, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus loved this man. He's not trying to diss him. He really has genuine love for him. And he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. And he says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have your treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Right? We're singing, God, I give you my all. All right, would you give him your bank account? Would you give him your house, your car, your 401k? Would you give him your all? 
Now, I'm not asking you to necessarily do that. If you want to, you could, but make sure that's a God thing. But are you willing to give your life to him? And this man's face fell and went away sad, for he had many possessions. So here's what we sometimes miss, and I'm only saying we because this is me. This is what I miss in my life when I'm in in this season. I start to forget that Jesus loves me and wants a relationship with me, and I'm trying to do things for him. Okay, God, I got to do this. Another checklist, another check, another check, another check, another check. And God's like, okay, stop. It's not all the things you're doing for me. I want you to be with me. I want to be in a relationship. It's not a checklist. That's when Jesus said to the man, would you sell everything and come follow me? That's the invitation this morning. Would you sell everything and come follow me? For, for the second point I have in here, I need to just cover another scripture. It's 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Right? As, as I look at that and, and I try to point out, you can see what I put in yellow Humble yourselves. When we were in prayer this morning before service, someone said, you know what? To go high, you got to go low. That's the word of the Lord. Right? What did John the Baptist said? He said, I might, that I might decrease, that he might increase. You want to you go forward in your relationship with God? You got to go low and say, God, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. It's not, not what I think, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. Be watchful. Right? We're in a spiritual battle. It's like, wake up. You don't go into battle with your pajamas on. You go into battle with armor on. But some of us, we read in Ephesians 6 where the armor of God is, and we're not praying that way. That, that's something we should be praying every day. The scariest words I read in this is, after you have suffered a little while. Because... A little while to God, like he's the God that says a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. God, how long? How long is a little while? But it's not about a little while. It's about that suffering is part of the Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about making bad decisions and suffering because you were an idiot, right? I'm talking about suffering because you're going after God and the enemy's coming after you. And there, there might be some suffering. That's okay. Stand. Stand with your brothers and sisters. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep holding faith. Because the God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow. That's what we all want, don't we? We want to see God move in our midst like that. So that's suggestions for how to calibrate. When we're heading towards God, don't let it become a checklist. Remember, it's a relationship. Keep, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Pursuing Jesus is humbling ourselves. It is recognizing we're in a spiritual battle. It's walking through seasons of suffering and then knowing that, you know what? The night's not going to last forever. 
joy is coming in the morning. I'm believing God that I don't... The thing about nighttime is we know that daytime is coming. It's not like, oh my gosh, this night's going to live. No, we know that the sun is going to rise the next day. So if you're in a moment of suffering, that's okay. The night's not going to last forever. Just a little while. I can't tell you how long a little while is. When I look back at my life, I'm glad the little whiles were a little while. Some lasted longer. Some lasted years. But God comes to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. The day is coming. So what does it look like to run after God? The scripture in Matthew 6 is interesting. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this is talking about the necessities of life, right? What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. I believe it can also be our spiritual life, right? Are we, are we willing to be fully captivated and seek Jesus and his move in our life more than we want to see the manifestations of, of his spirit, right? We've talked before that maybe sometimes in the past, We've been focused on, Jesus, we want to see your miracles. We want to see this happen and this happen and this happen. And and somehow our eyes got off of Jesus and who he was. And we started to look at what he does, not who he is. Right? Jesus is saying, no, seek me for who I am. There's a relationship. There's an invitation here. Will you be my bride? I was reading this week, and and actually it's, it's not just this week because this is the verse that I put up on my, on my whiteboard the day I started here at Shiloh as the full time. This was seven years ago. It's 1 Corinthians 4.20. And it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. When we are seeking first the kingdom of God, we're not just talking. We're living by God's power. But then verse 21 goes on to say this. Which will you choose? Right? Will you choose to just talk about your relationship with Jesus or will you live a relationship with Jesus? Because when you live it, it's living not in our strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. But will you choose to live a life that's worthy of the calling that God has given us? So I think running to God, I, I could best describe it as this. It's not that Jesus is one thing. He's everything. And that's the choice that I have to make. It's the choice you have to make. We say, God, I'm going to give you my all. Really? Have I done that? Have you done that? Have I given him my all? Matthew 13 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. This is what running after God looks. It's not like, oh, I got to give up things. It's like, wait a minute. If I sell everything I have, I could buy that field and the treasure that's buried there is priceless. That's Jesus. Done. I'm selling it. I'm giving it all. Like that's what it looks like. You're so captivated by the treasure. You're so captivated by who Jesus is. Like this, this is easy. Like I, I, I want to get rid of my old life and I want the life that Jesus has for me. Jesus isn't just one thing. He's everything. That's what running hard after God is. 
I, I know recently there's been an awakening within me, right? Where I'm in worship sometimes and I'm just like so overcome by who Jesus is and the brilliance of his love. It's like, wow, God, all, all I want to do right now is kneel in your presence or maybe I got to fall flat on my face. I don't know what the response is, but Jesus, you're just becoming so real to me. That's what it is to run after God. Next week, we're going to have some testimonies about people that gave everything to God and what God did in their life. Like, come next week. It's going to be awesome to hear these testimonies. So to recalibrate when we're, when we're in a time when we're running, above all else, seek his kingdom first. Right? Henry Blackaby said this, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. And when I think about that statement, I think about how many times I say, God, would you bless what I'm about to do? That's not what it's saying. It's not, God, will you bless what I'm about to do? It's, God, let me see what you're doing, and let me be a part of what you're blessing. Right? I call it sometimes, look for the fire. And, and we can all see, like, if you're, if you're, you know, see smoke or you see fire, like, we're all drawn to go run to the fire. When we see God moving, go where God is moving and be a part of that. And ask him, God, show me in my life. Maybe it's a coworker that, like, I'm just drawn. There's something, and they're going through something, and, and like they, they, there's an open door for you to talk, for you to share faith with them, right? Go look for what God is doing and join him in his work. Henry Blackaby also said something else. Just, just listen to this. It says, if Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals, their aspirations, and begin responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world would be turned upside down. How do we know? Because that's what the first century Christians did, and the world is still talking about it. Right? Um, um, What would it look like if we gave up our personal agendas, our life goals, our aspirations, and and started to respond in radical obedience to Jesus and to everything that God showed us? The world would be turned upside down. So I want to take some time now, Chris, if you could come and play. And I want to give us time just to reflect, right? We've been talking for weeks about Jesus is our standard. We need to, we need to focus in on, on who he is. We need to evaluate our life. This is a day that I think God wants us to respond, right? What has God been saying? Maybe you're just joining us for the first time. That's okay. If you don't have the books that we handed out, like put it on your phone. Oh, Elise, you're here. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but let's take, let's take some time to listen. Listen to what God is saying. Like what, I, I threw a lot of spaghetti at you today. What's sticking? What is God saying to you? That's what's most important. But it's not just what is he saying to you. What's the calibration look like? What is the action you're going to take? I know in my life as God has been sharing with me, like I'm starting to fast weekly. I've never done that. It's like, who are you? What happened to Greg? I don't know, but I felt like God was asking me to do that. I've, I've called other pastors that used to come to a meeting once a month and have dropped off and said, look, I think we need to change how we're doing this, and I'm inviting you to come and fast and pray with us, would you? And they're saying, yes, 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 yes. And we've got a number of pastors coming together this Wednesday for the first time. People that have never come, they're coming to fast and to pray for our city. God, what are you doing? Well, we want to listen. We want to calibrate. That's what's going on in my life. What about your life? What is God saying to you? What actions are you taking? Let's spend some time to wait in his presence.
we've talked about a lot this morning we talked about seasons I don't know what season you're, you might be in but calibration isn't just for one part of our life, it's for every part of our life, right, we all need to calibrate, we all need to be tuning it's a constant, it's a constant thing it may look different in different seasons but it's constant that we need to calibrate precursor to calibration is to get the guitar so to speak right it's hard to tune hard to tune until you know the master until you're in relationship with Jesus if you're here this morning and and this is news to you I remember the first time I heard that Jesus wanted to be in relationship with me I was like what I thought I just had to go to church I'm not talking about going to church I'm not talking about joining a church Jesus gave his life for us as the bridegroom. And the invitation is, will we be his bride? Will we give our life to him? Will we give all to him? 
And that's a, for some of us, it may be the first time we've ever heard that. Would you give your life to Jesus? For some of us, it may be, I got to come back to Jesus because you know what? He's getting 50% of me. He's not getting all of me. Like, let's just be honest with one another. What does it look like to give him all of you? When we started at the beginning of the year and we as elders were talking, I, I really feel like God is wanting something in 2024, that it's a, it's a year of consecration. It's a year of us drawing closer to God because God is moving and he wants to move, but we got to get in alignment with what he's doing. And that's not just a me thing or the elders. It's an every, everybody thing. How is God calling you to align to what he's doing? Where are you in what correction? What do you need, what do you need to do to draw closer to Jesus? I believe God's drawing us in. That's an invitation. God, you know what? I, I gave you my all, but now I realize it wasn't really my all. Now I got to give you more, right? There's more of me that I need to give so that there's actually less of me and more of you. So if, if you want to be all in with Jesus, if there's something you, you've recognized today, a calibration moment that you need to make a change, if you don't know Jesus, like this is a day. Let Come forward today. Prayer team, would you come up and just be standing here? This is a day for us to make a declaration of God. God, I want to be all in. I want to give you all. So I'm going to give an invitation. I'm re-giving myself to Jesus. If you want to give yourself to Jesus, feel free to come forward and kneel. Feel free to kneel where you are. If you, if you can't kneel, then sit. But let's just take some time if, if you're okay with that. If you want to give your all, I'm asking you just to kneel before God. Lord Jesus, we we know that you love us, God, that you're for us. God, that you're drawing us in. There's an invitation to go deeper with you today, Lord. We want to go deeper with you, Jesus. Lord, we're here kneeling or, or sitting before you, God, just as a way to humble ourselves. We want more of you and less of us, God. Lord, show us those things that, that need to change in our lives. Give us the power of your spirit, God, that we're not just talking about our relationship with you. We're living a relationship by your power, God. That's our heart's cry, God, that we live something out that's, that's visible, that's, that can be seen, God, that is attractive to others because it's your spirit living through us. So, Jesus, move in our hearts, move in our lives. We're asking for more of you, God. We're asking that you... You captivate us totally, God. But we don't want to be the bride walking down the aisle, Lord, looking at other people. We want to be locking eyes with you, Jesus. You're captivating, Lord. Your love for us is great. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you're doing in our lives, God. Come, Lord Jesus, for, for what each one of us is saying to you, Lord, in the stillness of our hearts. Come for those words, Lord. Let them not just be words. Let them be action. Lord, change, change us, God. We want to be more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, please come forward. we got a prayer team here. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, please come forward. We want to, we want to share with you how you come into relationship with Jesus. But have a blessed day. Have a great week of calibrating and recalibrating.